Welcome back, everyone, to the next mini-sode in the March of Minisodes. Matt Pagel here, flying the ship solo once again as we dive into Wednesday's episode. Bringing back an oldie but a goodie, one I haven't done in a long time, Recommendation Rewind. Um, so, like, what we used to do with this, uh, it was a it was a mini-sode before we really started doing uh, mini-sodes. And, you know, whatever we talked about, uh, be it a movie, TV show, anything else... I would go back and kind of go through the episode and um, hit on hit on some points that we brought up and then correlate that to like a movie, TV show, um, even sometimes uh, songs or whatever that were relevant to like what we had just done. So like if we had just reviewed a, a, an Adam Sandler movie, for example, I could go back and find like certain comedies that I think would uh, best match the, the movie that we talked about, whatever it might be. Um, and then it wouldn't just have to be Adam Sandler movies. Could be any comedies, maybe not even comedies, but something that has some relevance to what we talked about. And then I would uh, go back and find some some other older properties that you should check out if you haven't checked them out. Now, obviously, we haven't um, <clears throat> this so far this year. We haven't uh, I haven't done any sort of movie reviews or anything like that. So I am just going to go. I'm going to go with one for this recommendation rewind. I'm going to go with one. Uh, pop culture juggernaut uh, sensation kind of deal and then i'm going to go with something that i have watched recently that i that i thoroughly enjoyed and i'm going to give you recommendations uh based off of both of those properties and the first one we'll start with the um it will start with the with the juggernaut the kind of phenomenon uh this is hbo's the last of us uh based off the very critically acclaimed video game of the same title uh starring pedro pascal and bella ramsey and if you haven't heard about this show, I don't know where you've been, um, hiding under a rock, I guess. Uh, but this is sort of the second, um, this is the second hit in a row from Craig Mazin. Um, he was the uh, creator, showrunner, writer, head writer of uh, the miniseries Chernobyl, uh, which, you know, was for a while, like the highest, the highest like rated show, like in the history of cable television. Um, so this is Mazin's second, this, and this show is also getting rave reviews, and I can say as, you know, as a fan of the show, um, they're all well-deserved. Uh, between you know, pitch-perfect writing, performances, and just sort of the weirdness of what's happening and, and how it's being physically portrayed, um, it's, it's definitely worth its critical praise. Uh, so we're going to start with The Last of Us, and then I'm going to wrap up with um, any chance that I get, any chance that I get to talk about uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, I will. Uh, so I'm going to talk about their most recent movie, Something in the Dirt, and uh, give you some recommendations based off of their, uh, man, I, I mean, it, certainly they're horror directors, but it, like it, just casting them as horror directors is really sort of doing them a disservice. Uh, they definitely are like a, a cross-genre, um, cross-genre directors and writers who really put their own personal flavor on, on everything that they're doing. And make make a very interesting, a very very interesting. There's whether or not you like all of their stuff. There's no, there's no way you can't say that there's a lot going on. There's a lot that you would find interesting in every single one of their movies for sure. So we'll be talking about Justin uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's most recent effort, Something in the Dirt. So like I said, we'll start off with the with the big time uh, the big time phenomenon here. We'll start off with The Last of Us. Um, so my first recommendation for you out there. If you are a Pedro Pascal fan, and who is not a Pedro Pascal fan? Um, he really burst on the scene uh, as uh, Oberyn Martell in Game of Thrones. 
so this first recommendation is um, this first recommendation is a is for all you Pedro fans out there, and it's it's after his um, it's after his sort of breakout on Game of Thrones, but before his like real recent run of success that's put him in the limelight. Um, it's from it's a movie from 2018 that Chem and I have actually talked about a little bit. Well, we talked about the short film, um, but we didn't actually have a chance to talk about the the feature length film that it got turned into. And it's this 2018 film Prospect, and it's I recommend both of them. Check check out the short film. It's like 13 minutes, not even three. I think it's like nine minutes. Um, but check out the the full length film, and you can 100% see why. Um, if Ober Martel, if the character of Ober Martel and his portrayal of that character wasn't enough, you can 100% see why Pedro has kind of launched into um, the, the this unbelievable run of success. Um, you know, from Wonder Woman '84 to um, to The Mandalorian uh, to now uh, you know headlining one of the top TV shows on on cable right now with The Last of Us. He's got it all, man. He's just such a great. He he just in this particular movie in Prospect. He really elevates. It's a decent movie, regardless. I, I really enjoyed it, but he really elevates a decent movie into something more compelling. He and um, uh, his co-star Sophie Thatcher, who I believe is on Yellow Jackets right now, and she also might be in the Star Wars universe. I feel like she was part of um, the Boba Fett series, which I admittedly haven't watched, and apparently I don't really need to watch that badly. Um, but uh, they are they are both fantastic in that in this movie prospect. Um, and it's definitely a, a, a very kind of a very interesting slice of sci-fi of 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 um, I don't know what, exactly what kind of sci-fi you'd call this, but sort of the I, I, more indie sci-fi, more of the grounded sci-fi. Like we're not talking. I mean, there are definitely spaceships and shit involved in this thing, but you're talking about something that feels much more um, uh, much more homemade once we get down to the ground level and we get to see what. Like, how the action, everything's unfolding um, in in Prospect. So I highly recommend Prospect. Pedro Pascal's great. Um, and you will definitely see exactly what has made him a tremendous leading man uh, right now in Hollywood and why he's on such a hot streak. Let's hop now to my next recommendation. Um, and kind of in the, you know, in, in the zombie, since we are talking about a zombie show, essentially, even though the, um, even though the zombies in The Last of Us are different, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with 28 Days Later as my next recommendation. Uh, one of the two movies that put zombies back into the pop culture zeitgeist. I think we kind of, I know a lot of people kind of think of this as being sort of the the first one that, um, that really pops and, and kind of gets us interested in this particular genre after it had kind of been gone cold um, in the mid-1980s after uh, Romero's, the end of Romero's like original um, of the Dead trilogy. And some of those, like, in, you know, and some of the more tackier, you know, kitchens, like, tackier, kitschier spinoffs and stuff. Some of them are actually pretty fun. But we were kind of done with zombies here for about, like, the better part of 15 years. And then um, 28 Days Later obviously pops up. But obvi- but one of the ones that I, I kind of forget that actually came right before 28 Days Later, of course, Resident Evil, headlined by Mila Jovovich. But I wanted to talk about 28 Days Later because very much like in The Last of Us, these... This is a very different version of what constitutes a zombie, right? Like these aren't these aren't dead people. Um, in in twenty eight days later, these are people infected with rage, um, as the doctor uh, says at the outset of the movie. Um, so there's you know there's definitely more of a 
there's more of an obvious sort of message here. Um, this honestly, the story is probably a little bit deeper. There's probably a little bit more symbolism if you haven't seen it in a while. Um, there's probably a little bit more, um, you know, going on message-wise than you probably remember. And again, so you so you have that going on. But you know, I, I really think the big key here is that we are talking about like something other than like your classic dead shuffling zombie. Uh, this is sort of the um, this is sort of our introduction to like what what does what really does constitute a zombie does it have to be a dead person in this case these people aren't dead and in the case of the last of us these people aren't really dead they've been you know their their brains have been taken over by a an evolved fungus um which you know really you kind of just need to watch the the, the cold opening for the entire series uh with john hannah and i believe it's big head um is kind of the the moderator of this uh the science panel tv show like the 1960s um but uh yeah like so the people in the last of us aren't dead and honestly the the costuming and the effects and the physical effects and makeup and stuff of the the um i guess the the fungus people the mushroom people is pretty fantastic but it is sort of a different look at like what of what a zombie is i mean it really is just someone maybe at like at some definitional level it is just someone who is no longer in control of their own bodies right like their 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 minds are clouded by and are being driven by something else and that's where these two connect for sure. So 28 Days Later, highly recommend it. I also recommend, recommend it because you'll, again, you'll kind of forget if you saw it, you know, it's it's like 20 years old now. Maybe, no, it's like 21, 22 years old now. Um, you kind of forget that, like, pretty sure that Danny Boyle filmed this on a, on a fucking potato or something. But that was, like, very purposeful. It's a very, it has a very analog, almost home movie feel to it. So that it does make you feel like you're at more ground level with the zombies than something like uh, World War Z, which is actually a movie I, I definitely like, um, and it has some like fun parts to it. But that's such a, it, it is a big big screen blockbuster kind of movie that looks much more like a polished and, f- and finished movie, whereas Twenty Eight Days Later feels very unfinished and raw, and really adds to the um, really adds to the feeling of the the sort of the more grounded feeling of this movie even though you know we're talking about people infected with you know as they call it rage i mean is it just like social rage you know what is it exactly i mean it's a virus but you know there's there's obviously um a sort of more symbolic origin for what makes people a zombie and um the sort of low-grade feel of the, of the look to it really adds to adds something to it and plus, you get to see early Killian Murphy and early Naomi Harris, um, early Christopher Eccleston. It's got a great cast. Uh, Brendan Gleeson has a tremendous cast in it as well. So 100% you should go check out 28 Days Later. All right, my next recommendation is it kind of came out at a, I don't know, a bad time or a good time. I'm not really sure. I guess it depends on how you think about um, how you really feeling about the pandemic uh, now a few years removed from the worst part of it but uh station 11 another hbo show it it is it it, you know it it tells about the it takes place in two timelines uh at the beginning uh the beginning of a worldwide pandemic in which 99 percent of the human population dies from the uh, i guess really the last flu if you will um and then it uh, and then the 20 years later where we are with the the remaining people who survived and obviously the you know the um the people who are born uh post um post pandemic uh so it was definitely a very uh, it wasn't it was a show based off of a book so it wasn't like it was 
um, made in response to the pandemic or anything. Uh, but uh, certainly the timing was very interesting, obviously. So I, I think of Station Eleven as being a bit of an inverse of The Last of Us in some ways. Um, you know, whereas The Last of Us is a little bit grimmer, and we're telling about the you know we're telling a story about these people who are um, again like the really like the last pockets of of humanity left, and the you know the people the the, the people who have control are a fascist government. Um, you know, fascist governments, I guess the remnants of, of the government uh, have become like fascist sort of little fiefdoms, you know, controlling uh, quarantine zones in like Boston and Atlanta and, and out West, you know, the cities have kind of become, um, the cities have kind of become their own like sort of entities that are run by the same collective fascist uh, government. In Station Eleven, the world that the survivors create is actually somewhat pleasant. Um, there's obviously like an outside threat to that to that pleasantness, but it's it really when we go from place to place, we're following this like they're called the traveling symphony, and like they do um, they do kind of like classic theater plays and stuff uh, from town to town. But every place that they go, it's not really like in in you know it once the once the um, antagonist is introduced in the story, and I won't spoil it for anyone here. Once the antagonist int- is introduced, then there's a more element of danger. But we're kind of like led to believe that obviously there are bad people out there, but those generally with the traveling symphony, um, when they go from place to place, they're like welcomed, um, which is you know the inverse of most of these sort of post-apocalyptic shows where we got people on the road and every place they go is just a different form of host- you know they increase they encounter a different form of hostility. Uh, for the most part, the the people the main people in Station Eleven have have for again for the most part have kind of been welcomed everywhere they've come and have um you know have really carved out a nice life considering the circumstances um but it it really is about like what the in this in this case this show is really about the importance of community and really about the the importance of you know i guess when we think about like these grim post-apocalyptic shows it is sort of just like scratching out you know survival and just scratching out what like the minimum version of what a life is and this show is sort of like, well, yeah, you have to do that. But once you've done that, this is about community and art and expression and how much that really matters when, you know, the we've gotten past we've gotten past the um, the hard part. Now what comes next? And really those 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 things that really define culture are what are what are what is important, um, especially when times are tough. I, I think that that's a really interesting message. Um, that Station Eleven provides, and Mackenzie Davis and Matilda Lawler, who play the uh, the same character, uh, the younger and older version of the same character, are great. And Himesh Patel, fabulous. It's got some tremendous performances left and right. It's a really great show. Highly recommend Station Eleven. And to wrap up the recommendations for The Last of Us, here I'm going to start with I'm going to go with a very uh, similarly titled but whimsical look at the apocalypse, The Last Man on Earth. Uh, starred Will Forte and Christian Shaw, but also had a um, actually had a pretty great cast that included like January Jones and I, I know I'm forgetting a few people off the top of my head here, but the Last Man on Earth was a whimsical look at the apocalypse. Um, obviously, Will Forte playing the um, the eponymous uh, Last Man on Earth, he's obviously not the Last Man on Earth, um, and more and more people end up finding him, and it is a lot of kind of pointing and laughing at some of the tropes from the apocalyptic movies and TV shows that, that preceded it. Um, 
but it is it, it's a very funny show about like what happens at the end and you know like what you know what it even means to sort of survive something like this and like just some of the unintentional intentional humor that comes from it and um i to show that i i actually myself i need to pick up i saw the first two seasons never saw the last two um but it got cut short uh lasted four seasons got cut short and it i i read that there was a really interesting plan for the fifth season that would have been probably its last season regardless of whether or not it got it got uh renewed or canceled um that i should say the fifth season was going to be its last regardless but the um there was going to be a really sort of devastating kind of uh reveal that uh the people the reason why the will forte's group why they were the only ones left is that they were asymptomatic carriers of the virus that killed everyone else on the planet so as you know they they encounter more and more people more and more people get sick they kill them off and it turns out that like hey by the way we are the, we are amongst the people responsible for spreading this disease around the planet, um, which is kind of kind of a really a, a dark turn for a show that's very very funny. Otherwise, like it's it's a show that starts off with the um, with Will Forte's character. Um, you know he he doesn't just have a, like a Wilson you know from uh, from Castaway you know the volleyball Wilson. He has like a whole like grouping of different of different sports balls basketballs tennis balls volleyballs bowling balls all with faces all with names he calls them his buddies like that's where the show starts and kind of hearing about where it would have ended would have been a very dark a very dark and interesting i would say a daring twist for a show that was on um that was on network tv but uh, i highly recommend if you want to laugh about the apocalypse uh the last man on earth is a pretty funny show all right and let's wrap up here with my recommendations for Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson's Something in the Dirt. Um, very interesting movie. I, I don't think this ranks amongst my favorite of their movies, but it is very, very interesting. And um, it is, again, like like I said, I think kind of pinning them down to one genre, calling them horror directors just really isn't fair. Um, they are, they do have a very genre-bending approach to the stories that they, to the stories that they're telling. Um there are definitely some overarching themes, and this is where I'm getting all my recommendations from, except for one. One recommendation I'll explain. Um, it's something that I haven't even actually seen yet, but it, it sounds fucking fantastic. But in this movie, in Something in the Dirt, uh, we do kind of get their their general um, their general theme of uh, of cosmic horror, um, uh, where where science and supernatural kind of meet. And how it affects people at a very micro level, um, how it affects interpersonal relationships. You know, that's something that kind of that not kind of that is the core tenet of all of their previous movies, from Resolution to Spring, The Endless, and Synchronic. That is really, I mean, with everything else that's going on, it's how these large forces, these forces really beyond human comprehension and control. Um, affect people at a personal level and affect their relationships with each other. And we do have more of that here in Something in the Dirt. And it's also very interesting because this is a completely a, a movie that was shot completely during the pandemic. So the cast is very, very minimal. It's actually just uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, really, in all the live-action shots, plus a couple of other people. Um, and then a lot of, uh, if you're familiar with their movies, people you might be familiar with from some of their other movies pop up. And um, in the documentary about their movie that they're making, um, it's it's a movie, it's a meta movie, and it is a movie that is intentionally um, sort of made to, I don't want to say manipulate or deceive the audience, 
but it is it's made to make you question their you know each character's motives and it's make you and it wants to make you question like what really happened even though we know that something profound did happen um in this case so i would just in general i'm recommending something in the dirt uh, obviously if you're a morehead and benson fan you've probably already seen it but if you have not um definitely check out something in the dirt now going off of going off of that here are a few of my uh, recommendations i'm going to start with something that I, I i don't know this for sure but i would guess that this is probably somewhere on either of their either morehead or benson's list of movies that they like um, and that's the that's the movie Twelve Monkeys. Here, time travel and paranoia don't mix well, and uh, you know we get this we do get this sort of post apocalyptic um, you know world in which we are trying to apparently we have the technology to go back and travel through time uh, to sort of undo a, uh, a worldwide pandemic that has forced the survivor the surviving hum, uh, humans underground. Um, but in in kind of the same way where something in the dirt there's um, there's an, a, there's a sort of viewer beware and kind of be really think about what, what you're seeing here. Um, this kind of, this goes with Bruce Willis's character, right? That he is sort of sent back through time through his life. Cause he's supposedly the witness of, he's the one person who can kind of fix this and figure out what, how to stop it. And as it turns out, his, his own memories are sort of his own memories is paranoia about what's going on. Um, the confusion of time travel and the fact that he's essentially like a prisoner uh, basically throughout all this creates an unreliable, I guess he's the unreliable narrator or the unreliable witness. And it kind of creates a little bit of a disconnect between what's actually happening. Once we get to, once we finally get to the reveal of what's actually going on, it's very clear that um, Bruce Willis's character has kind of, has kind of unintentionally missed the boat on what's going on, you know, from what he saw as a child uh, back in the 19, I believe it was the 1990s. Um, I mean, the movie's from the 1990s, but I believe it's also uh, the, the past, quote-unquote, is the 1990s for him. So I highly recommend it. Uh, this is one of those movies that really makes me miss Bruce Willis. And he's marvelous in this movie, and it just makes me so fucking sad for what's happened to him. Um, like, it's one of those things that, like, it, it now it all makes sense, seeing his most recent movies. It all makes sense, but, like, even I, like... Until like I until like his you know he and his family kind of came forward with a statement. Even I just assumed that he was kind of doing the uh, the Steven Seagal thing, where he was just lazy, right? Like that he did that he was just kind of showing up on set for a couple. You know, you got him for a couple of days, two or three days, whatever. Um, Going to get like a, you know a couple million bucks to show up, and then like that'll be his contribution. You know, obviously it turns out that there's like something much more much worse happening with him, and it is really sad to hear that um, you know like his. It's sad to hear and see the decline in what Bruce was to like, I mean, such a charming, such a charming actor, such a charming personality and presence on film to kind of see where he is now. Um, so this is one of those things that will make you nostalgic for the old Bruce Willis and really kind of make that his um, aphasia diagnosis and diagnosis and his dementia diagnosis really hit that much harder. Um, this is also a movie that kind of, I, I think this is a, an opinion. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the pod before that Brad Pitt is obviously an A-list actor and celebrity, but I really think Brad Pitt is a character actor. He just happens to be the greatest character actor ever. Um, he's not, he was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. Um, I believe it's his, I believe it was his first, yeah, it's his first nomination. Um, I think Brad Pitt is a, is a great actor 
But, man, I think he really hits the ball out of the park when he's not your main character. But he gets to do a little bit of a character, a side character. I think that's when he's at his absolute best. And you can make the argument that Brad Pitt is the greatest character actor of all time. All right. Um, <clears throat> my next one here is a movie called Color Out of Space. Uh, a recent Nicolas Cage movie uh, where I, I'm really a fan of, of the sort of the, I don't know what you call it, the, the cage assance, the Nicolas cage assance. Um, you know, the renewed interest in Nicolas Cage as an actor where some of these directors are kind of honing in on, you know what, he's a little bit over the top, he's a little bit crazy, let's, let's go ahead and tap that and figure it out. And it works pretty well here, maybe not as well as it did in like Mandy or <clears throat> The Incredible Weight of Unbearable, or wait, I, I forgot, but the one about him. <laughs> where he plays himself as a character um <clears throat> but uh, colorado space uh again within the same theme of something in the dirt we're talking about cosmic horror visited on a family uh in rural uh i want to say maine or maybe it's connecticut or something but it's a very um you know again the the cosmic horror is it is horrific no doubt about this we're talking some really great body horror stuff akin to really very much akin to like the thing um a lot of a lot of good practical effects but also a lot of good uh, a lot of good digital effects for to achieve like this body horror stuff but really again we're talking about the collision of science and the supernatural um we're talking about the way that uh, we're, we're we're looking at this like sort of these issues within the family you know the issue the father-daughter issues the the issues that the the married couple has, um, you know, all being exacerbated by the color that visits them. It's a very unnatural. Um, it's a it's a very unnatural color. It's I mean, literally it's a color that doesn't appear in nature. It's called like, um, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly what it's called. What the there's a name for this color. It's like on the um, it's on the Pantone matching system. Can't remember the name of it. It's like a fuchsia kind of color, but it is a color that does not happen in nature. Uh, which is why it would definitely stand out. And like you see plants and things flowering with this color. Uh, there's a lot of it. Um, there's a lot of sort of this this fuchsia color lighting up the background and stuff in, in certain scenes. Uh, so it's it, it gives you a hint that if you're kind of if you know that kind of stuff that like this is not something that is normal. It like it's 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 definitely something supernatural. Um, but another movie that I love, and this goes again right along with uh, some of the themes that. Uh, Warren and Benson get into another movie with an entity that is really kind of undefinable as good or bad. It's just there's this kind of idea in in uh, in pop culture that like if there were like some sort of you know t- books, TV shows, movies, all kinds of stuff that there if there was something you know if you could sort of prove the existence of God or a God or some kind of some kind of entity like that could control that much that really their maybe their motives wouldn't be necessarily as um you couldn't define their motives as good or bad or evil or or just based on our own sort of um value system because they would be operating on an entirely different value system if there is even a value system at all for them so another movie where the entity the color if you will is really undefinable as good or bad which happens a lot in morehead and benson's movies next one here and it's a movie that we talked about i just want to give it a little bit more dap uh in the mouth of madness Another meta horror movie. Uh, it invites the audience to sign up, kind of play along, and see exactly what's going on, and even or you know see if they can figure out what's going on. And even then, even after we see the end, the end of this movie, which is uh, the main character Sam Neill, uh, I think his name is Trent, um, watching the movie of the things that happen, we're still not one hundred percent sure if Trent has 
Trent has really experienced all that he's experienced or if he's lost his mind or if it's both, right? Like there's just like a little, there's enough seed of doubt um, in the, in the end of, in the mouth of madness and throughout the movie that you don't know. It's hard for you in the same way for the uh, protagonist. It's hard for you to sort of differentiate between, uh, between reality, fantasy, horror, and you know, what you think you're seeing. It's, it's just another little bit of trick, a little trick, but not, maybe not as severe as, um, not as, I shouldn't say as severe, but not as um, upfront as the sort of the trick that something in the dirt is kind of trying to play. Uh, but In the Mouth of Madness, fantastic movie. Probably the last of John Carpenter's movies that really are like, really stand out and are, are really tight and really good. Um, not to say that he didn't make good movies after this. Like I, I know we've, I know we've talked about like vampires before. Uh, as being something that probably really you could make into a really great movie with just some with a few I mean significant changes yes but really you know swap out a character here you know maybe if there's a little bit more budget there um, that that movie could be pretty great and um, I don't know it's it's sort of again sort of like the uh, another sort of John Carpenter gem in that like it's everything that movies aren't anymore <laughs> it's short it gets to the point. Um, it has, it has like a, you know, it has a, a narrative that, that helps you think about things besides like what's going on. It's just very, you know, a lot of practical effects. It's just a very interesting movie that really was just a couple of years right before we really start to get locked into more and more CGI in movies. So in the mouth of madness, definitely worth a watch. All right. And the last movie, uh, that is very adjacent to in in a very different way but still adjacent to something in the dirt that I want to recommend and this is the movie that I have never seen but like this sounds very fascinating this is actually a <clears throat> this is actually a recommendation from one I, th- I think it was from Justin Benson um from one of the directors of something in the dirt this is one of their sort of like favorite movies and something that they recommend people watch and it's a movie from 1968 directed by William Greaves called Symbiopsychotaxiplasm uh, that is symbio psycho taxiplasm, and I had to I had to bring up the synopsis because this sounds again this sounds so fascinating. Um, again, it's from 1968. William Greaves. This is the this is the general plot synopsis. 1968. Director William Greaves begins filming a movie scene in Central Park. An argument between a couple. At the same time, a documentary crew films the crew filming the movie. Meanwhile, a third crew films the filming of the two films. Uh, and, and Greaves himself plays a plays the role. He's playing a character of himself as sort of this um, sort of this kind of maniac uh, director who is making poor decisions and kind of agitating people. Um, so, in other words, the movie that is being the movie that's being made is being documented by a film crew as sort of a your typical kind of behind the scenes stuff stuff that you would see like on a DVD now. Is behind the scenes stuff. That's like what a, that's what a lot of especially bigger movies have. Uh, it's kind of standard now. Like they're you know they're kind of filming all the time to you know see what other kind of behind the scenes stuff they can find. So that's what's going on, or that's what uh, the first two film crews think is happening. Uh, but there's actually a third film crew filming everything to sort of see what is exactly going on. And the idea behind this experiment is sort of to like, as, as Greaves had put it, um, to sort of get. Um, to see like what really what people un, unknowing not people not knowing that they're being filmed, um, what is how they're acting and how their their experience their experiences the reactions and stuff are 
um, to someone who is, you know, again, he is sort of being a very, a more of a caricature of what a director is, uh, kind of a control freak and kind of making making decisions that are rash, that are rash and kind of agitating the actors and agitating the the second, or I guess the second film crew, uh, the first and second film crews, and then the third film crew is capturing all of it. This is very confusing. That's kind of the point of it, but it is sort of to it is sort of to get at like these the basic human emotions. Is kind of what uh, William Greaves is going after. There's a great there's a great line here in the Wikipedia for it. Um, let me find it here so I can get it exact. Greaves creates a circular meta documentary about a documentary, a documentary about a documentary, and a documentary documenting a documentary about a documentary. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll read that one more time. Greaves creates a circular meta documentary about a documentary. A documentary about a documentary and a documentary documenting a documentary about a documentary. Uh, Greaves' attempt to capture reality on film employs cameras in the right places at inopportune moments to discourage any short improvisations or unnatural events. Um, And that's really what what Greaves was trying to do with this movie. Um, It was to try to get the most natural sort of, uh, I guess, get beyond acting and get to the most natural human emotions and the most natural human interactions he could find. And his kind of theory was to sort of, um, was to sort of put multiple shells or multiple layers in between what he wanted to capture and, you know, the the means to do it. Um, So again, this is, this goes into, uh, there's a, there's a a many meta aspects to, um, to what Benson and Moorhead do in, in something in the dirt. It's a documentary Um, on the one hand, um, and it's also like kind of the personal experiences of the two men going through uh, this sort of, I don't know, interdimensional phenomenon. Um, but it is a documentary. And there's, in their other movies, there is this very meta feel to it. Um, in Resolution, in fact, there's a, there's, a, there's a moment where there is, in fact, a very purposeful light leak. Like um, when, when um, film gets, I guess it's not really overexposed, but when film is exposed the wrong way, you get the light um coming the light comes through the film and that was sort of a very purposeful moment to to sort of jar the viewer and get them sort of into into the mind frame that and this is sort of like the climax of the movie get them into the mind frame that like not only are they watching a movie they're watching something from the point of view of something else um same with um same with the endless you get a lot of overhead shots of something that is watching um stuff happen at camp arcadia and it's not outright said in spring or synchronic, but it's very there's a uh, there's a lot of overhead shots and kind of shots that make our characters uh, feel very small. And you know whether it's whether it's just you know obviously that's their filming style, but I do think it, you can kind of extrapolate that it is sort of a almost that uh, you are you have the POV of some kind of cosmic entity watching the things uh, unfold below. So there is uh, a, a very direct. It's very interesting. This movie has a very direct sort of tie-in to one of the things that they they are trying to get at in their own per, their own way. This sort of idea of of the movie itself kind of being uh, something that you're watching almost almost with like a one degree removed from the action, if that makes sense. So, uh, Symbiopsychotaxiplasm from 1968 is my last recommendation for something in the dirt, and my last recommendation for this episode. We will see you on Friday.